Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Kurt Schlichter, who is a retired Ar Army Infantry Colonel with a Master's in Strategic Studies from the U.S. Army War College, a former stand-up comic, a successful trial lawyer, author of a number of books, and his latest being We'll Be Back, The Fall and Rise of America. Welcome to Geopolitics and Empire, Kurt. Well, thanks for having me. Of course, don't forget the fact that I look like a hobo right now because I've been up since 1 a.m. I guest hosted for Hugh Hewitt. Uh, from three to six California time. So if I'm a little loopy, uh, it's probably from sleep deprivation and, uh, 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 you know, of course, it being California, I'm uh, drowning in sunlight. So. Yeah, no, yeah no, no worries there. I got my radio show on TNT and this podcast. So I, I, I feel you. Um, let's get into your, your, your book. It's about to be published uh, this month, and I've been reading an advanced copy again it's the fall and rise of america from regnery publishing and um i'm glad you're fomenting discussion about something i've been thinking about now for two decades which is the potential decline or collapse uh, of america uh and you started the book out by saying america has fallen from uh, that pinnacle of power it occupied back in 1991 and it appears to have landed flat on its face so what's going on here well, no, I, I think you've summed up correctly. Uh, at the end of the Gulf War, which I was in, I happened to be, I, I didn't realize it until I thought about it later, which is kind of weird for a guy, you know, who studies history and stuff, that I was there at the pinnacle of American power, both in time and place. I was at the Seventh Corps headquarters in uh, the Persian Gulf War. Seventh Corps was the uh, armored corps uh, designed to basically gut the Russians coming over the border uh, in, in World War III. Um, sent from Germany to uh, uh, Saudi Arabia to attack in Iraq, which it did. And there was a lighter corps on one side and a Marine Corps uh, on the other, a Marine and Allied Corps. Uh, but uh, uh, Seven Corps was uh, 100,000 of uh, probably the most powerful military formation in human history. And the victory in the Gulf in 100 hours where an entire nation's armies were completely destroyed. This wasn't just one battle. This wasn't the Russians, uh, the Romans being destroyed at Kenai uh, because they came back. They were able to come right, uh, back fairly quickly. Uh, this was taking an entire country out of the picture in 100 hours comprehensively. And when we were done, the, the, there, there was no doubt who the most powerful country on earth was between technology, uh, training, uh, operational preparation and readiness. There was simply no one who could compete. And the Soviet Union kind of looked at us. It was already, you know, it was already on the verge of collapse. And, and that just put over the edge. There was just no way they could possibly compete. The Chinese, uh, at that point, about 31 years ago, they, they looked at it and just said, holy cow, we are, we're not even in the same, we're not even in the league below America. No one was. And we didn't realize it. Now, it wasn't just military power. It was cultural power. It was institutional power. Um, and, uh, you know, interestingly, today I was talking to a young man who was not born until around 9-11. And he, you know, we're, we're talking about music. I was playing uh, 80s bumper music by The Clash on uh, uh, Hugh Hewitt just to, you know, uh, cause a ruckus. And he said, you know, my parents taught me about The Clash and 80s music. And that's just the bad. I'm so jealous that you lived in the 80s. And. 90s, and, and he really should be, because that was when America was at its height of power. That was the last time we were relatively normal in the sense that I understand growing up, where America is pretty much unchallenged, where there's prosperity, uh, where uh, uh, institutions function. And you, you look at things now. 
I mean, we're in a situation where gas is seven bucks a gallon in California, where you can go to the store, not be able to find tampons or a baby formula. I, I did a speaking gig for some Republicans at a country club, very nice country club. And they said, you're totally sold out. Great. I walk in and there were only tables in half the space. And I'm like, well, I mean, you know, if I'm sold out, why don't you put more tables? The place wouldn't let us. I said, why not? That seems weird. They probably wanted to. And he said, yeah, they want to. They couldn't guarantee that they could get chicken. Think about that. In America, the last time you could not be sure you could go to the store and get chicken was probably the 40s during wartime rationing. And then not even then. You, you, You generally, you might not be able to get as much as you want, but you could get it. So we're living in an unprecedented time of decline, and it's a decline that's accepted by our ruling class. And what they're telling us is, you need to accept it. I mean, there's a video going around now of uh, of uh, Nicole Kidman eating bugs, and, and apparently, bugs uh, we're supposed to eat bugs because they uh, you know, provide less greenhouse gases. And uh, I'm not even going to go into what a, a ridiculous hoax uh, the notion of quote unquote climate change is, but it. it it's simply a tool to take power and freedom away from uh, us and give it to them. Uh, but but the idea that we've gone from the United States of America, the world of the uh, ribeye steak and the, uh, you know, V8 engine Ford Mustang to a place where we're eating bugs and riding on a, a rickety bus like we're in some, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Soviet Union of 1972, it, it, it's... It's baffling to me. Uh, I don't think people are going to accept it. But yeah, we need to be concerned about the fall of America because uh, the fall is a rarely rare, a real possibility. And I and and it it could be. And I talk about this in the book. We'll be back. The fall and rise of America. Of course, I talk about it's in the title. Uh, I talk about what a fall really is. Are we going to have a Roman Empire type fall where you know the central government collapses, even though you or, or, or something where it morphs? If you look at the Roman Empire in 476, it fell uh, when a, a barbarian, uh, uh, you know, king deposed the last Western uh, 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 emperor, emperor, which is uh, uh, Augustus Romulus, I believe. Uh, ironically, the same name is nearly the same name as the first Roman leader. Uh, Rome went on for another thousand years in uh, the form of Constantinople, the Eastern Empire. So are, are, are we talking about a total collapse? Are we talking a change into something that sort of looks like us, but isn't? Obviously, everything falls in that sense. Nothing is forever. Yeah, I mean, you have a country like England, which uh, is uh, England, you know, for the last millennium, I guess, is pretty much identifiable as England, though, though, though there are obviously the changes and evolutions. Um. But the civilization, I think, is the same. But, you know, will will something happen with us? I I don't know. Because we're undergoing demographic changes. We're undergoing changes in birth rate. We have real enemies like China who who, who could destroy us if possible. Uh, And we could destroy ourselves. A message from our sponsors. It seems we may be headed for the 1930s all over again. Financial collapse, tyranny, and world war. I've already secured multiple passports, offshore accounts, safe havens, and escaped to the sunnier shores of Mexico. My friend Michael Thorup of the Expat Money Show is hosting the Expat Money Summit with 30-plus experts that'll help you reclaim freedom in this fourth turning by moving your life and wealth offshore. 
Themes include securing your Plan B bug-out location, banking offshore, reducing your tax burden legally, storing precious metals, getting another passport, and more. Protect yourself and secure a new life abroad. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com or don't and enjoy surviving on insect protein while stuck in the metaverse. And don't forget to fund Geopolitics and Empire. You can leave a donation, except on Patreon or PayPal, which have banned us, book a consultation, or become a member. And one of the key battlegrounds you, you talk about in your book is this, what, what's going on with the left, the liberals. So I, I call them today, I mean, this globalist ideology, this cultural yes. uh, warfare, you write, quote, uh, I mean, you kind of describe them, quote, as the unaccomplished scolds and nags with no upper body strength and blue check Twitter accounts trying to pester us into uh, sub submission where all America would yes. be Ber Berkeley, which uh, itself is basically COVID era Australia with fewer kangaroos and more seminars on decolonializing. Uh, chemistry, you talk about things about uh, how it's important, the, the control of the Supreme Court, which means control of the Constitution. And right now, I think we're seeing a struggle for the Supreme Court uh, as the left yes. is li literally calling for insurrection and destruction uh, of the su Supreme Court because it, things haven't gone their way. And so we're sort of in the midst of this soft civil war. Um, and then later on, you get into the you flesh out these scenarios of, you know, what a hard civil war might look like. And I was going to say that you're one of the first um that I found, I ask my guests often, you know, how would you envision a second civil war? And you're one of the first that really, for me, really fleshes it out in detail, um, the different scenarios uh, in your book. So could you sort of, uh, you know, talk about well, this? What's, well, what's well, look, let's define civil war. Civil war would be violent conflict uh, of a systematic nature designed to affect political change. Um, and uh, that has happened in American history, though not uh, not often in the, in the kind of sense that uh, uh, we're talking about now. Now we had a, a, you know, obviously we had the civil war, which was uh, groups of states versus groups of states. Uh, one group of state, uh, kind of the remaining United States, the other declared itself independent and they fought and uh, the rebels were crushed. Uh, but we have had violent uh, uh, insurrections uh, well, I don't know if insurrection is the right thing, but we have had violent conflict. We had in the pre-Civil War era, we had uh, the war against uh, between uh, essentially Kansas and Missouri, slave owners and non-slave owners. And that was, I mean, that was units of uh, essentially units of light cavalry uh, going in and raiding each other, but in, a in kind of a systematic way. So that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty serious. Uh, obviously, we had the Indian Wars. I think that's kind of a different uh, scenario, uh, not truly a civil conflict. But remember, in the early 1970s, America did have a low-level leftist insurgency in the form of the Weather Underground, Black Panthers, Symbionese Liberation Army, if you remember those clowns with Patty Hearst and Sin Q and all those are ridiculous guys. And we, I mean, we laugh at it. Uh, and, and of course, it wasn't uh, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, tanks on the street. It was basically suppressed through law enforcement. But there were bombings going on every day. Cops were being killed. People were being killed, uh, not in huge numbers, but uh, it, it, it was a systematic violence designed to uh, achieve a political end. So we go from that, which is almost a quasi-criminal uh, type of uh, crime wave, to actually mechanized forces on the field. Uh, fighting each other in a, a updated civil war, you know, uh, uh, United States Civil War, uh, 1861 through uh, 65. 
And I, I look at it from both sides. I look at both of my experience as a uh, uh, army colonel, graduate of the Army War College. Uh, also, I served in Kosovo, which had a very big effect on me between 2004 and 2005. After the fighting, I was there uh, in the wake of the Civil War. Keep in mind, they, and it was, a, it was a civil war there. Tito kept a lot of the angry uh, ethnic groups away from each other. And we as uh, uh, reservists were dropped into the middle of it. Uh, basically keep the peace, try and keep everybody from killing each other. So we got introduced to the concept of, you know, Serbs and Albanians. We don't know who the hell these people are. Their beasts are not our, but we can't tell them apart. And, you know, if you would go and talk to any group, they're very clear on who the groups are. It's very important that you are a Kosovar Albanian as opposed to a Serb Albanian or a Roma, which was uh, uh, the, the term for gypsies, or a Turk. Or a Bosniak. We, we didn't, it, 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 it's completely meaningless to us as Americans. Uh, we had to learn it. To them, it is ingrained and it matters. And you would have a village of Serbs, a village of Albanians next to each other. And they had lived there for hundreds of years. And Tito goes away. And uh, uh, the war comes because, I, in large part, because I think people manipulated uh, the, you know, basically abandoned the rule of law for personal power and used ethnic hatred uh, to consolidate their own power. Sounds familiar. And suddenly you'll have one village going next door and killing everybody they can find. And they've lived together for however long. Uh, obviously, there's uh, a long history there. And, you know, we would joke about, but it was absolutely true. You would you would talk to one group and the group would go, well, the other guys, you know, they, they killed 20 of us. And we'd be like, holy cow. You know, they killed 20 of them. Let's call the helicopter gunships. We need to... We need to spread. No, no, it happened uh, 352 years ago. But, you know, it's really terrible. And we'd be like, what? Yeah, we, we just can't. It, it, it made no sense to us. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the word balkanization exists for a reason. These ethnic groups with uh, uh, inexplicable hatreds uh, to outsiders. To them, it seems perfectly logical that they would hate their neighbors. And it seems perfectly logical to some people in America that they would hate other Americans. Doesn't mean it is. But to underestimate the potential for violence in that kind of situation, there is a reason civil wars are commonly understood as the most violent and bloody of wars, uh, because there's a level of hatred there. I mean, you know, in World War II, Americans fought the Germans, and with, you know, some exceptions, you know, when we captured a concentration camp, you know, a you know, the guards would try to escape and they'd end up getting machine gunned. Oh, well. But generally, if you were a German and you surrendered, we, oh, okay, you're, you know, go to the rear uh, and we'll send you to the United States and you can spend the rest of the war farming in Iowa. And we didn't hate, I mean, you know, we didn't like them, but we didn't have that visceral hatred where we felt we should murder them. But you look at what happened in the Balkans and you get captured by the wrong guy, they're going to torture you to death. Because that level of hatred is there and it's very common. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, the, the idea that somehow you are a traitor to your own, it, it, you know, it's nothing personal if you're the enemy. It is some personal if they, they consider you a traitor to your own. Uh, it, and uh, there's, a, there's a huge danger of that in the United States. Now, do I think it's going to happen? I think it is unlikely that a, a large scale maneuver warfare kind of civil war could start. Uh, but we are seeing things like uh, the response of uh, uh, certain groups to the abortion decision, where they're going and attacking property. It is not a big leap to go from uh, vandalizing buildings to maybe shooting people in the leg. 
or beating the hell out of them or maybe killing them. And people have been killed in the abortion thing. Uh, that's, that's not unknown. So uh, there is a danger there. And I do talk about it. And I talk about it both, you know, I, I discuss it and what could happen. I wanted to, but I wanted to give people kind of a visceral understanding of what it was, because I think too many people talk about it as hypothetical. And for me, because I walk through the ruins of it, it's personal. So I, I uh, you know, I've written novels about America. Uh, I have a series of novels, the People's Republic series of America breaking into basically having a national divorce, which I talk about also. And, you know, how divorce, <laughs> angry divorces go, you know, look at Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, right? It's not pretty. Um, and uh, uh, so I put in some fictional vignettes in the story because I want to explain it in a way where you really feel what's happening. Maybe that maybe you're a mom who spent her whole life being able to go down to Trader Joe's and get whatever she wants for her kids. It never, you know, you've never not been able to. Suddenly, you know, if you're you're in a blue city, red forces uh, do the, the most logical thing, which is cut off access to the city, cut, uh, block out food and water. As someone who did planning for civil de- uh, disasters and actually commanded forces during civil disasters uh, in the army, like the San Diego fires in 2007, I was also in the Los Angeles riots, Los Angeles earthquakes. Um, you know, an American city is about four or five days from being Mogadishu. In the sense that if you cut off the food or the water, you know you've got a, a you know a city of you know California, Los Angeles is ten million people. That's a lot of food. That's a lot of calories per day to feed people. And uh, you know if I had forces, I cut off uh, one hundred and one. I cut off uh, I five. I cut off I ten. Uh, I cut off uh, I five to the south, and then I cut off the sixty freeway. How are you going to feed Los Angeles? I don't need a lot of troops to do that. And suddenly you have a starving group of 10 million people. Well, there are a lot of people who aren't going to politely stand in line to start. It's going to get ugly. And I wanted to talk about that and explore what that could look like in the worst case scenario and maybe scare the hell out of some of these people who undermine norms and rules and customs that keep this from happening in America. Uh, We're very spoiled. We're, we're extremely spoiled and we're run by a ruling class that did not build this country. It has no experience uh, before this country. It has no experience with real challenges or difficulties. I don't think they appreciate this country. They think, you know, it's like a Jenga tower, you know, that game with locks. And they, they think they can just pull as many out because they've never seen the tower collapse. It's never occurred to them it can. And they, they just think that it's held up by magic somehow. That's just a natural state of being. And I've lived on three continents. It is uh, the opposite of the natural state of man, what we have here. And it requires maintenance. And it requires fidelity to the basic principles set forth in the Constitution by our founders. And that includes, uh, at times, not getting your way. But you, you look, at, particularly at the left, that it doesn't get the way in elections. Suddenly, the way we elect presidents is morally wrong and must be changed, even though you know, the, the, you know, the Senate, oh my gosh, we don't have control of the Senate. We, we don't even, we, we only have half the Senate and we can't do everything we want to do. The Senate must be wrong because it's non-representative. Wait a minute. All the small states only join the union because the Senate uh, promised equal representation by state so that they wouldn't be run by California and New York. Yeah, do, do, you, do you imagine that you can just undo that deal 
because it doesn't work for you now and your arbitrary sense of morality, which is ever shifting and never constant uh, uh, and always convenient. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, 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 mora- the, the necessity of getting rid of uh, norms and uh, uh, customs never, never, never happens to the other side. It's never important for the other side. It's only important for them after they've lost something. Um, you know, uh, you, you just can't do it. I, I don't think they don't appreciate our country because they didn't build it. They didn't maintain it. They just kind of inherited it. Like, and, and, and you know what? <laughs> yeah, look at Hunter Biden. The power of inherited wealth. Yeah, and, and just you know, we, we saw an example with Hillary Clinton in 2016 and Russia Gate and them talking about an election stolen there. So they can do it when they feel like it. Um, you know, they can complain about the elections, but you know, in 2020, you know, no, no, when things go uh, their way, what we can't. And you know, just to comment about balkanization uh, in the 80s, my parents are from Croatia, so um, they're from Yugoslavia. Okay. And yep. in, the, in the in the 80s, I uh, as a kid, we went every, I went every year to uh, Yugoslavia, Croatia, and I spent. Uh, we even traveled for vacation still during the war to Croatia. And I, I lived in '94 when I was a kid uh, for a year in Split towards the tail end uh, of the war. So I'm very familiar about what you're talking about. And I, I think it's important what you do in your book is to highlight the, the, the real possibility of, of this stuff happening uh, in America. It's not just some hypothetical situation. It could happen here. I mean, I, I've spoken to Russians who say like uh-huh. they, they, they never imagined the Soviet Union would collapse. And then the next day, everything fell apart. Well, look, you know, people don't understand about the former Yugoslavia. I, I, I had the ability. I, I lived there for a year, learned a lot about it, uh, both preparing and while I was there. It's a civilized country. These are not barbarians. These are not savages. Uh, these are uh, uh, sophisticated people. Maybe they don't have as much uh, uh, material resources as Americans, but they are educated. They appreciate learning. They like music and art and culture. Uh, and they killed each other, sometimes in very horrible ways that are uh, mind-boggling. So that that's really the, the horror of the Balkans was not humans killing humans, because that is the normal state of human beings, sadly. The horror of it is a, a, a cosmopolitan, uh, to the extent any anything group behind the Western Curtain was a westernized, a westernized group that immediately fell on itself in, in, in a violent uh, full-scale conflict. You know, you had tanks and artillery and sieges of cities. Um, that's that's the that's the thing because it, it, it you know you say it can't happen here i i gosh i remember uh i was explaining i talk about in the book the importance of an armed population because i i, I believe that a population of citizens must in order to be remain citizens must uh, uh uh must be armed so it has essentially the ultimate veto even though the the, the necessity of using it is i mean it's such a remote uh circumstance still possible and I, I, you know, I'm arguing that with some blue check on Twitter. I think it was Josh Marshall from a Talking Points Memo. And I said, look, when civilization falls, you know, you, you need a union AR-15. And he said, civilization will never fall. And I'm like, I was literally in the Los Angeles riots. I was literally in South Central. I had to drive there without a gun because I had sold all my guns when I came back from Germany uh, and the army. I had to drive to my unit in South Central with no guns. It's burning to the left. It's burning to the right. People are being killed. I mean, there there was no law. You don't tell me civilization 
uh, is a permanent state that can't all be altered. That's ridiculous. That's that's a lie, and it's a dangerous lie. And it's a, a, a lie people tell themselves because they don't want to do the hard work of citizenship, which is being a participant in your own government, including its defense when necessary. But I, I mean, I think the Swiss model and the Israeli model have a lot of value. Uh, the, 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 you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm a, a national conscription guy or a national service guy. I got some issues with that. Mostly it's a practical matter because, uh, as a soldier, I'd much rather have volunteers because you can threaten to throw them out. And instead of going, Oh, good. They go, Oh no, I'll behave. Um, but there is something for people taking citizenship seriously. And when you understand that, you know, if everything goes to hell, you might have to strap on a rifle and personally stand on a corner and maintain security in your neighborhood. Maybe that focuses you on uh, and, and makes you appreciate things a little more. And before kind of ending on the, on the positive note of what we can do, I just wanted to, uh, before time runs out, just get your thought on uh, the economy and, you know, this new Cold War, because we're declining um, economically, inflation, you know, money printing, devaluation of, of currency. Americans are fleeing to Texas and Florida and, and down here to Mexico yes. uh, like crazy. And then you, you start the book discussing how in the 90s uh, in Iraq, um, you know, we, we were at the pinnacle and you know, I'm reading Putin today. I mean, he, basically, he's calling our bluff and Putin's saying, come at me, bro. You know, it's like he, they're not afraid anymore. The Russians and the Chinese, they've got hypersonics. We don't. And so um, economically and militarily, I don't think we're in a good situation either. Well, I, I think you're right. I wrote an article for Town Hall that said, uh, you know, the establishment sad that it's uh, uh, can't get sufficient cannon fodder for its war machine. And I, like, I, I'm pro-American war machine. I was in 27 years. I, I love the American military. American military is a mess now. The thing is, all these problems uh, can be solved with proper leadership and a proper understanding. If you have a military concerned about war fighting instead of bizarre social engineering, uh, that that can be fixed pretty quickly. It's a hierarchic organization. People are like, I don't believe, how can the military turn liberal and progressive? Well, because the commander did. Militaries do what the commander tells it to do. And if a, uh, you know, if a military's primary focus is wokeness, you're going to have a woke military, but it can't fight its way out of a paper bag. And the fact that we ended up uh, uh, leaving Afghanistan with their tail between our legs with 13 metallic boxes containing Marines who should not have been killed and we're only killed because of the gross incompetence of senior leadership, uh, you know, that's the result. But it can change very quickly. You get a proper leader uh, who insists to uh, focus be warfighting. We're going to get back pretty quickly. And I think our tech, we'll get our technical techni technical edge back, too. Uh, I'm, uh, I am uh, respectful and concerned about the Russians and the, so and the uh, Chinese. They, uh, the Russians are uh, uh, smart people. Uh, they are a worthy adversary. I was, you know, I was in the Cold War at the end of it. I, you know, cut my teeth learning to fight Russians. And I uh, also trained Ukrainians in Ukraine four times. So I have a little knowledge of that. Uh, I do respect them. I think anybody who dismisses them is foolish. Uh, but I think the, if not for Iraq, I would think that the failure to bring the Russians into the West and allied with us kind of against China or as a counterbalance to China, because I don't necessarily think we must, you know, be adversaries with China in that case. We'll always be competitors. Uh, we don't necessarily need to be hostile. But the failure to bring Russia around and enlist them in the West, uh, in large part, 
uh, recently because, uh, you know, the threat of Russia became useful for leftist Americans as a bludgeon uh, against the, you know, the, 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 the Americans who had been the strongest opponents of Russia when it was in the Soviet Union form. A uh, huge mistake. Uh, China, uh, you know, these are, China is a great nation. It is one of the great nations of the world. It's a great civilization. Uh, it is a, a civilization that is not known for its military prowess, does not have the military history a lot of other countries. But when it won, I mean, you know, obviously Sun Tzu was uh, Chinese and they do have a lot of good military thought. But, you know, this is not like the Roman army. These guys uh, do not have uh, the long tradition of victory that other countries have. And, but they do have a lot of anger over humiliation by the West. Uh, as a great nation to be humbled, uh, especially during the 19th century, early 20th century, by Western powers, basically slicing you up like a, a you know, Christmas goose. Uh, they, you know, you have a very angry nation. Uh, you also have a large number of males uh, who will never have brides because of their one China policy led to a large number of uh, females uh, missing from the current cohort. So that, that's a recipe for disaster. But there's a tension in China because they want to use free enterprise as a tool to increase prosperity. And their deal is we'll we'll allow some level of free enterprise to increase prosperity, but you're going to give up your freedom. And the Chinese, who are fully aware of freedom, because so many Chinese come to America, deal with the West, uh, they, they understand what freedom is. But you know they made a deal that makes sense to them, which is we'll give up some of our freedom, we'll let the Communist Party have the political power, but you've got to make us rich. What happens when the Communist Party's uh, natural tendency towards aggregating power? interferes with the free enterprise, uh, uh, you know, focus, which leads to economic problems, which there, there are going to be. Uh, I think the Chinese, uh, particularly Chinese real estate market is a house of straw. What happens when that all falls apart and there is no more prosperity? Uh, America can weather a depression. It has because our system is not based on, at least it wasn't before, we'll give you stuff if you're good and obedient. You'll, you'll be prosperous. Instead, it's, well, you know, we'll have good times and bad times, but we'll muddle through using the Constitution. In China, if the government doesn't keep its part of the deal and you have these other volatile factors that I've mentioned, that's, you know, that's a big problem for them. And they may get desperate. So China's got a lot of, China is a worthy opponent. They are smart people. They are tough people. You shouldn't underestimate them. Uh, but they have uh, huge problems. So, yeah, I, I don't believe it is a done deal that we will lose to China. And I think, you know, the, the, you, you talk about how do we deal with our economic problems. Three years ago, our economy was doing great. You had Donald Trump, and in three years, he basically uh, took the thumb off the economy of the state to not even a great extent, just a little extent, and our economy just exploded. That can happen again. It happens every time. Ronald Reagan did in the 80s. Uh, to some extent, Bill Clinton did it in the 90s. Uh, but, he, of course, he was forced to. Mm -hmm. I, I, so we know, what, we know what the answer is. So you get a smart president in, and I, I, I talk about the uh, 2024 election and what needs to be done. He has a smart president in here. He uh, unleashes the economy. So you're having an economic boom. 
he focuses on fixing institutions, starting with the military. It's important because the military is the most important and it's the easiest to fix. So you get a, a big win quickly. And uh, uh, we can turn around fairly quickly. The question is whether it'll be superficial or lasting. Will we, uh, you know, will we recommit to the values of the founders or will it just be kind of a temporary, like Trump has proven to be, kind of a temporary respite from uh, a long decline, uh, long managed decline? Uh, I think uh, I, I think it could go either way. I like. Uh, I think you nail it when you say that a uh, quote aggression, risk taking, and stubborn independence are the keys to greatness. End quote. And yes, th that's something I've always carried with me my whole life um, as an American. Again, the book is "Will Be Back: The Fall and Rise of America." Where's the best place to uh, find you online? Uh, well, you can find me at uh, Twitter, uh, Kurt Schlichter, spelled just like it sounds. Read my town hall columns every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can get the book, We'll Be Back, The Fall and Rise of America. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever. It, it drops on uh, July 12th. And uh, I, I guess it's, uh, look, I was, uh, you know, besides a work college grad, I was also a stand-up comic. I tried not to make it a drudgery, uh, you know, a Batan death march of, uh, you know, as Locke once observed. Now. I, I, I'm used to talking to juries. I'm used to talking to soldiers. I'm used to uh, being clear and concise. And that's what I want to do. I want to talk to people and say, this. look, here's what my experience, here's my analysis based on my experience. You may agree, you may disagree. I want, I want every line to either get a laugh or provoke a thought. No, I, I read it quickly. It was an easy read. Very, um, I love the fictional aspects that help visualize uh, yeah. everything. I, I highly recommend the book. Again, get it uh, at Regnery Publishing or everywhere else. And uh, thank you for being on Geopolitics Empire. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been, uh, been a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit and Twitter take down posts. And after the Associated Press mentioned Geopolitics and Empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help Geopolitics and Empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms. Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.